We all deal with the Sunday scaries, right? Sunday scaries are those, oh shit, stressful, nervous, can't sleep, dread feelings that hit you on Sunday evenings when you think about work or just freaking life. Unfortunately, you can feel that same pit in your stomach any day of the week. Thankfully, Sunday Scaries CBD gummies were made to defeat the crap that life throws at us. These are the perfect CBD gummies for professionals on the grind, super moms, students, party animals, and everyone in between. Look, I get really nervous before these interviews that we do, so I take two CBD gummies every Sunday before these interviews, and the Sunday Scaries are gone. I have no problem with these interviews. So we've partnered with Sunday Scaries to bring you an incredible offer. Head over to sundayscaries.com and use promo code DELUXE15 at checkout to get 15% off of your entire order. That's sundayscaries.com and use promo code DELUXE15 at checkout to save 15% off of your entire order. This podcast is part of the Deluxe Edition Network. To find other great shows on the network, head over to deluxeeditionnetwork.com. That's deluxeeditionnetwork.com. going on everybody welcome back to deluxe edition with casey and ray my name's ray that guy over there is the hostest with the mostest casey sheer how are we doing today casey good buddy how are you doing very well because we just interviewed half of the creative force behind the teenage mutant ninja turtles kevin eastman yeah it was awesome really awesome yeah we only had a short amount of time uh, Ray actually took the reins of this one, and uh, you did a great job, bud. Yeah, I had to go fully automatic with my tongue on this one because I was just trying to get as many questions in as I could in the 15 minutes, you know? Yeah, uh, we were only uh, allowed 15 minutes with Kevin, and we took it <laughs> exactly to 15 minutes. So yeah. this is a, a really short, quick one, but it's a good one. Yeah, I had fun. Say, so why don't you do the house uh, keeping there, Casey? Sounds good, Ray. All right. We are a part of the Deluxe Edition Network. You can find all of the other great shows over at DeluxeEditionNetwork.com. And the podcasts of the month this month are Metalhead Journeys and The Milf and Me. Go find them over at DeluxeEditionNetwork.com. If you'd like to support the show, you can go over to Patreon.com slash DeluxeEditionPod. You will find the episode immediately after it's recorded and unedited if you would like to go over and check out our instagram page we are at deluxe edition pod ray is handling all of the postings over there 
We found a new uh, little clip site with lots of new uh, clips from our shows, lots of reels and other stuff going on over there. Or if you would like to find all of our previous shows in one spot, head over to deluxeedition.show. What else, Ray? If you would like an official bootleg sticker for the Deluxe Edition, you can head over to T Public at my store, which is the 10 Cent Beer Night Podcast. Get yourself a magnet, you know, buy a bunch of magnets and just go around town seeing what things are made of metal and sticking them to them and then just leave them there. Yeah, share, share them around. If yeah. you find one of our, if you find a sticker or a Deluxe Edition magnet anywhere, take a picture of it, send it to us, and maybe we'll send you something. Yeah. They're like, everywhere, believe me. Like a magnet or a sticker. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Here is our chat with Kevin Eastman. Hey, Kevin. How are you, man? Good, thanks. How are you guys doing? Good. Good. Happy Saturday. Yes, sir. How's your day going? Good. Awesome. Been doing a few uh, few of the interviews and our a uh, couple, three days of junk. We try to set aside, a, you know, every couple months, uh, as many, um, uh, events like this as we can to reach out and talk to y'all. And, uh, it's, uh, the fun stuff. Yeah. Super cool of you to do it. So, uh, I don't want to waste too much time here cause our time is limited. So let's, let's get going. Sounds great. Okay. My friends, we are back again. And this time our special guest today is Kevin Eastman, who you may know as the co-creator of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles back in 1984 which used to be a wonderful comic book that I loved to death. So I have to ask you, Kevin, you and Peter Laird created these things. And uh, how do you feel about them still being relevant today in pop culture? Well, first, nice to be here with you guys. This is awesome. Uh, great talking to you all. But uh, um, crazy to think, um, coming up on 40 years now, that look back at issue one and uh, – uh, it was only intended to be one issue because we never thought we'd have a chance to do a second one. Um, Pete and I were both huge fans of uh, comics. Uh, Jack Kirby in particular, we bonded over, told our parents, you know, years back in those days, like, you know, hey, we're going to be cartoonists like Jack Kirby. And they give you that look where they know you're never going to move out of the basement. And uh, we're gonna have, oh, we have one of those kind of kids. Um, but no, just the fact that we've been able to do um, – <laughs> Uh, this is a career, uh, childhood dream, um, again, coming up on 40 years is just mind-blowingly humbling, uh, for lack of a better term, or this proper, proper term, I guess. Um, but yeah, man, what an adventure, what a journey, what, um, um, none of it planned. So it's all been a series of really awesome, happy accidents. So, uh, Mutant Mayhem just hit theaters last month mm-hmm. and with, with all the different versions of the Turtles, how does this one rank for you? I love Mutant Mayhem. It, it, to me, it ranks right up near the two of my favorites, um, which is the, the original comic Pete and I did, and uh, the first Turtle movie, the first Turtle live-action movie, for a couple of reasons. When I think of the approach that the um, uh, Jeff Rowe, the director, who big fan of his work from Gravity Falls and Mitchell's versus the Machine before Turtles, uh, Seth Rogen, lifelong fan of all he's done from Freaks and Geeks to now, and... Uh, uh, Evan Goldberg, the whole team is just spot on, but I feel like the organic edgy sort of approach to the first issue of the turtles, they capture that beautifully in their stylizations. Uh, the animation studio that produced it, um, felt like this, um, 
scratchy, dirty, claymation-y sort of feel, well-grounded, beautifully lit. Um, the humor uh, I love because it reminded me of the first Turtle movie, which was, you know, Steve Barron directing, uh, Todd Langdon, who wrote the script, and then an incredible Jim Henson, who brought the characters to life. Uh, Embrace more of the humor that we had in the cartoon series. So we had the dark, edgy family heart and soul of the original black and white comics with the humor. We found, you know, the antics um, uh, of the cartoon series. And I felt that was um, spot on right in that same wheelhouse um, updated in a way that uh, very relevant uh, um, and uh, <laughs> pretty, pretty outrageous, you know, splinter kissing scumbug at the end and stuff. And you just go like, what, what? And, uh, but no, there's a, Great movie. I loved it overall. It's fantastic. Yeah, that was going to lead me into another question. I was going to ask you how you felt about other people writing about the Turtles. But then I remembered that during the early days of the comic book, you had a bunch of guest writers come in that did their own, which I thought was cool. So do you think that also helped that other writers have always been involved with this, with their the way they do things, helped it stay a part of pop culture? Well, I think um, it definitely brought a great element to it because, um, you know, so keep, keep in mind that, you know, we grew up in a um, a system of, um, you know, the, the Marvel and DC and things where you wouldn't have, you know, you'd have different writers and artists come in on some of your favorite characters, different writer and artists did Spider-Man or Batman or, or, or things. So the idea, you know, I was a lifelong fan of Daredevil and, uh, you know, I still remember when they introduced this new kid you know, Frank Miller to Daredevil 158, you know, and I loved the work before um, and loved the work after, but it, that particular thing was just fantastic. So when we uh, started getting super busy with um, the exploration of the cartoons and the toys and that taking away from the, the day-to-day to creative on a comic, we were able to work with some really fantastic um, people that brought in uh, ideas and characters and things into the context of the foundation that Peter and I created, I think, you know, everything that we've seen of every version of the turtles up till right now is based on, I guess, for those first 15 issues that Pete and I did, all uh, the main characters are there and stuff, but um, seeing what they saw in our characters helped us see things in a bigger way, bringing in other ideas, you know, rat King, leatherhead, other it's, it just all feeds off each other and the creativity is exciting and infectious. And um, uh, we get to work with some really fantastic people that expanded uh, the idea in, in so many wonderful ways. Yeah. Speaking of all the characters, does your son have a favorite character in the universe? <laughs> you know, it's it's uh, you know we have a, a seventeen year old, so his his um his favorite character is, is dad making enough money so he can you know, <laughs> keep golfing and do. No, he's a <laughs> he's a he's a fan of uh, all things turtles, and uh, I think he's um, it just um, it's nothing rebellious or anything. He's he's a sports kid, you know, and he's everything that I wasn't when I was younger. I was the one that wasn't good at any of that stuff because I was in my room writing and drawing and, you know, not doing my homework and, you know, coming up with crazy comic stories and characters. Um, so he loves it and appreciates it from, from afar. Um, but, uh, it was funny. Probably one funny moment was, um, we were at some show when he was younger and a lot of people are in line and he's, uh, you know, thank goodness and bless all those fans that are willing to stand in line to see me is, uh, he goes, so he sort of, he was probably eight or nine. He goes, so well, what do those people want? And I go, well, they're big fans of the turtles and I'm one of the turtles dads. And, and so they want my autograph. And, uh, he said, Oh, that's cool. And then, uh, th- this first guy comes up and he goes, Oh my God, you're a living legend and blah, 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 blah. And so uh, 
talked to the gentleman and he walked up and so he turns to me kind of snarky and he goes, so you're a living legend. I go, yeah, yeah. They call me the ledge, you know? Like, uh, and so the ledge wants more popcorn or more, you know? And so it became a joke um, in family. So every once in a while I'll drift into the becoming the ledge and demand all kinds of odd things like more pizza and stuff like that. Yeah. So, does, that does your schedule allow you to see a lot of his sporting events then? Oh yeah. No, that's, what's great about it. It's, um, you know, so we still, um, keep a pretty intense schedule of work, um, and shows that uh, Courtney and I do, but yeah, we, in fact, when we, when he was younger, we didn't travel for about seven or eight years. Um, when he was, you know, when he was really young, we just didn't want to miss anything and be part of all that. And so once he, you know, got a bit older, we started doing conventions again and things. So, um, so he's in his senior year of high school. So, um, uh, yeah, we, we still make sure we hit time to see some of the sporting stuff. Um, it's the fun stuff. Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, I remember when I was 15, the uh, the television show, the 87 cartoon had started. Yep. And uh, we used to watch that thing all the time. Even though we were already in high school, we watched the shit out of that thing. Yep. And then it wasn't until like 19, I think it was 90, when we found the original big-ass black and white comics. Yeah, yeah. Yep. We were like, holy crap, these turtles are so much different. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah, no, it was... um. Uh, an interesting thing in that we had um, the height of the black and white comics probably sold a hundred thousand copies, which is phenomenal. You know, don't nothing to take away from any of that, of course. But the, once the cartoon series came out, there came out, it was now suddenly millions of people, and expanded out from there uh, globally. But at the time where, say, you, when you were a young child, and you were watching the cartoon series, that was your introduction to the turtles. You get to you know, three years in and you're starting to grow out of them and onto other things. Um, and in our case, in some cases, that's where some of the fans that were exposed to them as a cartoon character then discovered the black and white comic books and like, wait, and we sort of, you know, that Michael Corleone thing, just when you're trying to get out, we reeled you back in, you know? Uh, <laughs> you did. Um, and so that, that, you know, kept, uh, kept fans uh, on board with all things turtles for, 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 for longer, which was, which was kind of cool. It's sort of, a back way into the original series. Yeah. And those original comics were the big giant ones. And uh, why did you guys go to the standard size? Why didn't you stay with the big ones? The, well, the, when we, <laughs> uh, a lot of pressure from distributors and comic stores, but the, to be the, the funny part is, is the, the larger size was a mistake um, that we, <laughs> we went to this really tiny printer in Dover, New Hampshire um, to print the first issue. And it was the standard size of, we brought this little, you know, booklet in it was like a kind of a tv guide they call it tv facts mixed with local advertisement it was a leave behind that you know people could pick up at the convenience store or the grocery store and so we went there and we said you know we want this kind of newsprint uh we want to make a comic book like this in this size and so um we brought them all the material and brought them all the stuff and you know we printed them so we went to cmp printed them the same sizes as tv facts thing with a cover and so we were like oh it's supposed to be comic size and he goes well you probably should have told me that um anyway so we said well this is cool anyway so so we kept it to um uh issues one two three and four and then Raphael. and it was around then that the sales numbers were starting to get up there and a lot of comic stores are just saying look you know we we get a lot of complaints people can't put them in comic bags and we don't have any place to put them on a rack and you know and this and that so um when we went to color covers on issue five that's when we switched to um the, the, the more standard comic size but when we started doing last ronin that was my specific request is that we make last ronin 
oversized like the original series, not only in page count, 40 pages an issue, but also in, uh, in printed size. And it's the same thing. Even today, people are like, we love that you did it big like the old comic books. We can't find any bad. <laughs> we said we have to take a we have to take a magazine size thing and cut it down and put it into golden eye, golden age bat. And, uh, and so, do you yeah. think that might have actually helped the sales because they were bigger size? Like they, maybe they stood out a little bit. Great point. And in fact, we had heard that comment more than a few times that the guy, uh, different comic shop owner, said, "Well, I didn't have any place it didn't fit in my racks, so I put it on the counter next to the register, sort of right there, because I had something I could sort of put it in." Um, so I definitely think it had an effect. <laughs> had an effect. It was, you know, I love to say I love to say it was intentional, but it was an accident. And, you know, it worked out in the end. You worked as an artist on the Commandy Challenge as part of the DC Rebirth. Now, Mike, actually, what I want you to do is I want you to pitch why Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle fans would love Jack Kirby's Commandy, The Last Boy on Earth. Sure, absolutely. The uh, um, Commandy, The Last Boy on Earth was um, very important to me because not only was the movie that I saw, the first movie I saw in a movie theater was um, was uh, Planet of the Apes. And uh, I was very young, uh, of course. And uh, uh, shortly thereafter, Jack moved to DC Comics, started doing a, a bunch of really wonderful titles, including Commandy, which is under that concept. Animals, you know, there was a great disaster and animals ruled the earth and the humans were reduced to more like a slave-like uh, level of uh, animal, if you will. Um, and I think that was a direct, um, uh, directly responsible for me becoming really enamored with anthropomorphic mutant characters. You know, they had gorillas and they had tigers. They had, everything was, was there. And so um, uh, definitely uh, um, that world to me, especially as a 12-year-old, you know, 11, 12-year-old boy in a small town in Maine, I felt like the last boy on earth sometimes. <laughs> um, but there's definitely an infinite. In fact, that would be, you know, uh, probably my number one choice for a crossover um, besides a turtle daredevil would be a turtle commanding. So I think I'd like to put the turtles in that world of um, uh, commandy is an experience. Cause I think it's, um, it's a, could be a really great story and very, you know, um, reflective, you know, yeah, they're not hiding the sewers. They're in a world where animals rule and humans don't. <laughs> so yeah. Yeah, that definitely sounds cool. I mean, daredevil, they're technically already a part of that world. Totally. Yeah. You yeah. don't need the crossover. So I think we, we should go with the Kirby crossover. Um, I, I vote yes. <laughs> Again, I think we got time for one more question, and we're going to wrap up for today. But uh, appreciate the uh, hanging. You, you, you got something, Casey? Uh, just tell us what you're working on uh, next, Kevin, and uh, plugs before you, you head out. Sure, awesome. Um, besides, uh, you know, if you want to find out what I'm doing and where I'm going, just as a point of reference, go to KevinEastmanStudios.com. It'll give you the upcoming shows. Like we'll be in Memphis um, next weekend, and then we're on to New York City Comic Con um, early October. Then our final show of the year is Rhode Island uh, early November. Always great to get out there and see you all. And uh, anybody that wants to come by and say hi, please do. And right now, my main focus is Last Ronin Two. Um, after uh, um, Last Ronin, then we did. Lost Years, Lost Day, which was a great sort of bridge to what we developed for Last Run Two. So the first issue will be out in December, and uh, um, so that's um, that's that's what's taking all my creative time right now and having a blast doing it. Matt, awesome, we man. Super, super appreciate you being here with us, Kevin. Love to have you back to hear the Kevin Eastman origin stories. So whenever you get chance into the whirlwind ends, hook hook us up with that, would you please? Look forward to it. I, I'd like that very much. It'd be great. Thank, Thank you, man. You so much, Kevin. Cheers, guys. Cowabunga. See you later.
<laughs> Have a great day. You, you too, too man.